How far I'm UK and this is the ITK podcast. Sharia law is a topic in Nigeria that is incredibly polarizing. Muslims from the North see it as a vital part of their lives and faith, while non-Muslims from the South see it as the beginning salvo in a plot to Islamize the country. Obviously, there's a lot of nuance to this topic, so let's start at the very base level. The judicial system in Nigeria, like most systems, is complex. Nigeria has four distinct legal systems. English common law, Nigerian common law, customary law, and Sharia or Islamic law. Pre-colonial times before Nigeria as an entity existed, customary law based on the norms of each ethnic group was what was practiced. The establishment of colonial Nigeria saw English common law replace customary law as the presiding legal system. After independence, Subsequent civilian constitutions and laws have been heavily based on English common law. The evolving legal system in the country, post-independence, also borrowed from common law systems around the world to form the nation's own Nigerian common law. Customary law is still a very important part of the legal system, though it is considered subordinate to the other forms of law in the country. This trait makes for an interesting solution where contracts are only subject to customary law if the engaging parties consent to it in the agreement. Sharia law, on the other hand, is a legal system based on the precepts of Islam. Even this has nuance. Majority of Muslims in Nigeria are Sunni Muslims, and so are 90% of Muslims around the world. Islam as a religion has three major sectarian divisions, sort of like denominations in Christianity. They are Sunni Islam, Shia Islam, and Karajite Islam. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. If I'm not, apologies ahead of time. The initial practice of Islamic law in Nigeria came with the revival led by Usman Danfodio. Danfodio came at a time in the late 18th century when the practice of Islam in the northern part of Nigeria today had slipped into syncretism. Whatever practice of Islamic law at the time had become corrupt and was subject to the whim of the Muslim emirs in Hausa land. His appeal to morality and justice made him very popular with the Fulani, Hausa peasants, runaway slaves, and other societal outcasts. The jihad that followed led to a revival of Islam and Islamic law in the region, resulting in the establishment of the Sokoto Caliphate. When Lord Lugard arrived in northern Nigeria at the turn of the 20th century, he found himself in a dilemma. He found an empire that had been very organized with a functioning rule of law. The issue for him was how entrenched Islam and Islamic law were in the lives of the people of this region. To him, Disbanding the system overnight would have been a fool's errand and a logistic nightmare. So, he decided to leave the current Sharia system in place, though in secret, he planned a gradual demolition of the system. Part of this included getting rid of norms and practices the colonial government considered barbaric. To do this, they established three validity tests, 
which were also used for customary laws. The first test was that an Islamic or customary law should not infringe on natural justice, equity, and good conscience. This test was specifically targeted towards two customs. The first was the custom that gave a man paternity rights to any children his divorced wife had after the dissolution of their union, as long as her dowry had not been refunded. The other was the custom that bequeathed a deceased man's estate to his brothers in the event he only had female children. The second test was Islamic or customary law must not be incompatible either directly or indirectly with any laws present. This was invoked in Adesu Bukon versus Yunusa in 1968 when a Muslim's will validly made under the Wills Act of 1835 through its bequest was in violation of Islamic law. This decision was later overturned through legislative action after protests from Muslims. The third and final test was Islamic or customary law must not contradict public policy. These measures left Islamic law as basically customary law in Nigeria. During colonial times, it was further affirmed by the West African Court of Appeals decision in Bornu Native Authority versus Magudama in 1946. Judge Ames posited that Mohammedan law has no privileged position in Nigeria. It prevails where it does prevail because it is there as local custom and law. That decision defined Sharia as customary law, which a lot of Muslim scholars at the time disagreed with. In the lead up to independence in 1960, the debate around the role of Sharia in an independent Nigeria became very polarizing. It was agreed at the 1958 Constitutional Conference in London that Sharia be stripped of its criminal law jurisdiction. Muslim scholars and the northern elites attending the conference were opposed to this, but they still went forward with the proposal as it was one of the conditions needed to be met for independence. A compromise was struck with the creation of two separate criminal law systems. The penal code developed for the northern region based on Islamic law, while the southern region had the criminal code. Still, there was building support for the enactment of Islamic law in totality in the north. It should be noted that the predominant view in the north at the time, and maybe to this day, is common law, whether Nigerian or English, is Christian law. One can see why they wanted to be governed by Islamic law, as from their perspective, they were being forced by the English and Nigerian governments to submit to a law from another religion. In 1977, a constitutional assembly was brought together to create a new constitution for the transition from Obasanjo's military regime to a civilian one. Everything was going well until the topic of Sharia came up. The question of whether Sharia should receive a place in the nation's court system and operate in parallel to the common law system. This proposition was met with very fierce debate and eventually the meeting devolved into a shouting match on both sides. The Muslim arguments for Sharia included Muslims being the majority in the country could not have their rights repressed and how intertwined Islam and Islamic law were. Separating them would be infringing on their religious freedom. 
Eventually, the topic of Sharia had to be dropped and excluded from the 1979 constitution. Again, in 1988, when another constitutional assembly took place under the Ibrahim Babangida administration, once again, the topic of Sharia polarized the room and immediately inflamed tensions. Babangida ended the assembly due to how toxic the topic had immediately become, much to the relief of Muslim and Christian bodies all over the country. Sharia's treatment as customary law made a major turn with the landmark Supreme Court decision in the 1998 case Al-Kamawa v. Bello. In this case, a man, let's call him Mr. A, wanted to sell his house. He offered it to his neighbor, Mr. B, who owns the land surrounding his house for 30,000 naira. Mr. B considered the offer to be too expensive and declined. Mr. A then went searching and found a third party, Mr. C, who was willing to buy the house for 26,000, to which Mr. A agreed. Mr. B then filed a claim to the area high court asking that the sale to Mr. C be set aside and that he be allowed to make the purchase according to his right of shofar. Shofar, according to Islamic law, is the right to preemption of a business partner to buy the shares of his partners. This means if partner one wants to sell his shares in a business and agrees to a price with a third party, partner two has the right to buy the shares at that agreed fixed price. If he refuses to do so, then can the sale to the third party take place. This was the right Mr. B from the case was asserting before the area court. The court decided the case in his favor, so Mr. A appealed to the Sokoto High Court. The High Court dismissed the area court's judgment and ordered that the case be retried. It was finally appealed to the Supreme Court, where the case was dismissed unanimously for three reasons. The first being that Mr. B waived his right of chauffeur when he declined to buy the house for 30,000 naira. Since he waived his right to chauffeur, the sale to Mr. C was therefore valid. Finally, the third reason was the recognition of Sufa with respect to neighbors. See, in Sunni Islam, there are four schools of law. They are Hanafi, Shafi'i, Hanabali, and Maliki schools. Only the Hanafi school of law recognizes Shofa with regards to neighbors. All the other schools only recognize Shofa in the context of business partners or co-owners. The school most predominantly adhered to in Nigeria is the Maliki school. However, to make things even more complicated than they need to be, there are no written laws establishing the particular school of law a Sharia court in Nigeria needs to adhere to when ruling on a case. The ruling by the Nigerian Supreme Court gave credence to Islamic law as its own separate legal system and not as customary law. Barely a year later, Ahmad Sani Yerima kicked off the revival of Sharia law in Nigeria in what is now referred to as the Guso Declaration. On the 27th of October 1999, he announced in a press event alleged to have been attended by 2 million people, that from January 27th of the next year, 
Sharia law will be implemented within the state of Zamfara. The announcement immediately lit the political landscape of the country. Reactions from the Muslim community in the country was mixed. Conservative Muslims praised the move, while Muslim progressives were more concerned with its implementation and the fallout from the Christian community. Other northern governors hopped on the populist wave and made their announcements to implement Sharia in their states. It should be noted that despite the intense pressure from their residents, the governors of Kanu, Kaduna and Bauchi were hesitant to an immediate full implementation of Sharia. Their concerns centered around the implementation of Sharia and how it would affect the non-Muslim residents of their states and businesses. This question was most relevant in Kaduna, which is almost equally split in population between Muslims and Christians. Not to mention the state was just fresh off riots in the year 2000 that saw more than 5,000 Christians and Muslims dead. In the end, however, they all bowed to the public pressure and had Sharia fully implemented in their states. The reaction from the federal government was to convene a meeting of all the state governors in the capital to discuss and handle the situation. Thing is, at that point, the train had already left the station and Sharia was here to stay due to popular support. After implementation in 12 northern states, there was a campaign to have Sharia courts established nationwide. This was met with even stiffer opposition from the Christian majority in the south. And since politics is a numbers game, it failed. Not lost in the controversy around the implementation of Sharia in this period was the alleged involvement of foreign powers in this situation. It's alleged that after the announcement in Guso, ambassadors from various countries including Libya, Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, Syria, Sudan and Palestine visited Yerima and encouraged him. Yerima, of course, denied this allegation, in addition to the one alleging he received funding from the Islamic Development Bank. And since no investigations were made, we just have to take him at his word. We'll take a look at the legality of Sharia and what people living under Sharia think after the break. Who was the first Nigerian commissioned army officer? Is it A. Johnson Agui Ronsi? B. Samuel Ademulegu, C. Ralph Adetunji Shodeinde, and D. Wellington Basi. Stick around to the end and find out. Now that we've gone through the history of Sharia in the country, let's look at the legality surrounding the practice within the context of Nigerian law. Proponents of Sharia make their legal argument based on Section 38 of the 1999 Constitution, which guarantees freedom of religion. Their arguments entail that Islam and Islamic law are the same thing and cannot be separated, thereby allowing the practice of Sharia is allowing them to exercise their freedom of religion. Conversely, opponents of Sharia argue that its practice violates sections 10 and 38 of the constitution that prohibits the state's endorsement of a religion and guarantee freedom of religion. It's also argued that the punishments in Sharia that include flogging, stoning, and amputation violate section 34 
Clause 1 of the Constitution that states, Every individual is entitled to respect for the dignity of his person and cannot be subject to torture or inhuman or degrading treatment. I should add here that contrary to the popular belief that amputations are common in Sharia, in reality, sentences do occur but only in the dozens. Even then, most of those sentences are usually overturned in the Sharia Court of Appeal. A lot of this has to do with the federal government's attempt to prevent these situations from causing national controversies. Publicly, there aren't any records of amputation sentences being carried out since 2002, the early years of Sharia implementation. Same thing with the death sentence. Due to the controversy sparked by the sentencing of Safiya Husseini and Amina Lawal, which attracted international attention, these are usually overturned at the Court of Appeal. Only one death sentence has been carried out publicly since the implementation of Sharia in the country. Note my emphasis on the word publicly in all these situations because it refers to cases that garnered national and international attention. It's not to say that these sentences are not carried out for cases that haven't gotten national attention. Taking a look at the public perception of Sharia institutions across different states paints an interesting picture of the Sharia situation in the North. Take the Hispa for example. Hispa are groups expected to promote Islamic virtue while at the same time discouraging vices. Hispa groups perform social services that states fail to deliver to residents. These include dispute resolution, marriage counseling, illicit drug control, and matchmaking. In addition to social services, the Hispa perform religious duties that include the repairing of mosques and protection of people at religious events. They are infamously known to people as the Islamic or moral police. Hispa groups differ from state to state in how they are organized and perceived. They are usually formed by volunteers before the state may step in to formalize them. In Zamfara and Kanu states, the Hispa organizations are legally sanctioned commissions with statewide powers. They employ thousands of people and are funded by the state government. Bauchi has the Hisba as a department under the Sharia Commission and is organized at the Emirates level and not the state level. Kaduna and Katsina have private-run Hisba organizations with no backing from state legislation. In Bornu, the Hisba organization exists just on paper and Gumbi runs their Hisba similarly to Kaduna. According to a survey taken by the Nigerian Research Network at Oxford University's Department of International Development, conducted between 2000 to 2015, the public perception of each state's Hisba group varies. 84.9% in Kanu believe that Hisba followed Sharia law, compared to 56 and 21% in Bauchi and Niger states, respectively. When asked if the Hispa were less corrupt than the Nigerian police, 92% in Kanu agreed, while 52% and 23% in Bauchi and Niger states, respectively, agreed. Finally, when asked if Hispa should be disbanded, 1.4% in Niger states agreed, 
compared to 4.7% in Kanu and 1.3% in Bauchi. When the Nigerian Research Network conducted a survey on the impact of Sharia on Muslim women and their satisfaction with the law, the survey covering the period from 2000 to 2015 showed that women were the major users of Sharia courts. They went there to have their interpersonal, marital and family disputes settled. While women were the major users of the Sharia court system, they had very low representation within it. In Jigawa and Kanu states, for example, women form less than 3% of the staff. A major part of this is the Maliki school of law that disqualifies women from being judges. Satisfaction levels among women ranged from 52% to 89% over a five-year period. A major part of this was the speedy and user-friendly processes offered by the Sharia courts compared to common law courts. The Hisba also played a major role in ensuring issues like forced marriage and rape were tackled more seriously. In Kanu, 70% of disputes mediated by the Hispa were matrimonial and family disputes brought by women. This is also reflected in women being more fairly represented in Hispa groups. While Sharia has a favorable view among Muslim women in the region, there are still negative issues affecting women that have persisted despite Sharia implementation. Issues like rape, physical abuse, seclusion and exclusion of women are still rampant. A pressing assertion that is usually made about Sharia is that it will be implemented nationally and that will lead to the Islamization of Nigeria. That is not happening. While there was an initial attempt to have Sharia courts created in every state to serve the needs of the Muslims there, it failed simply because the state houses of assembly didn't want to legalize it. The main reason for the initial push for Sharia in even northern states was to address the insecurity and lack of social services that existed. Properly functioning government institutions would not have created a vacuum for Sharia to fill. State governors in northern states only hopped on the Sharia law enactment bandwagon to score cheap political points for re-election. A lot of the Sharia laws that were enacted were hastily written. A notable example being Zamfara, where the bill was put together in just a month, leading to a convoluted legal system in Sharia states. I personally think Sharia is here to stay, as abolishing it will be too toxic politically and socially for any president to tackle. I do think though that public funding of Sharia institutions is not constitutional. They should be funded privately by councils in each state. While I'm opposed to the system, I do see why people pushed for its implementation. A lot of these states had been really neglected by the government for years. Sadly, even Sharia institutions have fallen to the same issues that plague every Nigerian institution. They are underfunded, have under-maintained facilities, and suffer from rampant corruption. Strong government, judicial, and social institutions would eliminate most of the need for Sharia law, particularly its criminal code. Well, those are just my thoughts. What do you think? 
Is there a place for Sharia in our legal system? That's it for this week. The answer to the question during the break was D, Wellington Bassi. I'm UK and this has been the ITK Podcast. <laughs>